Well, Happy New Year. You know, we, we just wanted to, uh, to begin this new year with lots of praise, lots of worship, and uh, so thankful that you're here this morning. You know, uh, today is the seventh day of Christmas. You know, uh, on the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me seven swans swimming. And that means that this Friday will be the 12th day of Christmas, and the season of Christmas will then officially come to its close. And then you'll only have 343 shopping days left uh, before next Christmas. The 12th day of Christmas every year is January 6th. And and in the Christian calendar, uh, the 6th of January is called Epiphany. If you look up the word epiphany in a dictionary, the generic definition will sound something like this, a sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. But the theological definition of epiphany will be an appearance or a manifestation, especially of a divine being. In the Christian calendar, the festival of epiphany has for centuries commemorated not 12 drummers drumming, but the first appearance of Christ to Gentiles uh, when the Magi arrived to worship him. If you were here on Christmas Eve, you know that we spent a brief time uh, that evening thinking together about the coming of the wise men or the Magi, their identity, their inquiry, their discovery, and we focused our attention on the gifts that they brought and also on the worship of the young child Jesus. Uh, This morning, I'd like us to revisit that story, looking at it from a different angle, which is to consider and acknowledge together that they actually came at all. Um, What it meant at the time, what the fact of their coming might mean for us today, especially as we stand here on the threshold of a new year. So if you're able, I think you still are, will you please stand with me and let's read Matthew 2, 1 through 12 out loud together. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, 
They departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, let's begin then with the simple and yet surprising observation that they came, that they came at all. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. You might say, well, of course they came. Everybody knows that. You can almost hear Lucy and Peanut saying to Charlie Brown, well, everybody knows that, Charlie Brown. Um, And it's true that all of us have imprinted on our minds countless artists' renderings of three regally clad men on camels traveling by night and an enormous star shining brilliantly just a couple inches above their heads. Uh, And whether we assign any legitimacy or believability to the biblical account, most of us would think the story incomplete without them. And indeed, it would be. The Greek text doesn't actually say wise men. It calls them magi. And history identifies the Magi as astronomers and astrologers, uh, probably from either Persia or Babylon. We don't know exactly. We know they came from the east. We know that they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. They were followers of a pagan religion, worshipers of a pagan god. And we tend, it seems to me, to assign to at least this part of the story a fairy tale-like quality, don't we? That, that removes it from the realm of the rational. But if you're able, just think with me this morning about the improbable nature of the fact that these men, uh, far removed from the life of Israel, by, by uh, geography, by language, culture, and religion, uh, nevertheless traveled 800 to 1,000 miles along trade routes, some estimate over a period of months, to worship and present gifts to an obscure, unknown toddler. It's utterly amazing to think that they came at all. And why did they come? In their own words, they came because they were called by God. God called them. Again, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. We saw his star when it rose. On Christmas Eve, I suggested that that maybe we ought to think of the Magi as scientific theologians. They were, first of all, scientists specifically astronomers, not, of course, as anywhere near as sophisticated as astronomers today. But no one in their day understood more about the movements of the stars, the planets, the constellations, and the ways that they rotate through the night sky than the Magi. They spent a great deal of time studying and charting these things. They were also theologians. What do I mean by that, they, they believed that the stars both controlled and revealed events on earth. Uh, the cosmic elements had a governing influence on both human life and human history. But we might just observe that they, they, they weren't mere hacks with zodiacs, right? 
or, or dopes with horoscopes. Uh, um, they saw a vital connection between science and religion, and they would have agreed entirely with the psalmist when he wrote in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the sky above proclaims his handiwork, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. They saddled up for their epic journey to Jerusalem solely on the basis of a star that they detected when it rose in the night sky that spoke to them of a king having been born in Israel. They were so confident of the fact that they called it his star. And remember that when they came, the question was not, does anybody know about a king that's been born? It's where is he? Not is he, but where is he? So let's spend a few minutes thinking about that star. It may surprise you, and you can open your Bibles, there are Bibles on your chairs, turn to Matthew chapter 2. It may surprise you to realize that the Bible never says that anyone but the Magi saw the star. Uh, not Herod the king, not not the residents of Jerusalem, uh, nor the shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem, neither Mary nor Joseph. It seems that the star may have been for their eyes only. It struck me uh, as we were singing uh, the first Noel recently uh, that it says that the shepherds looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. And I thought, the Bible never says that. The shepherds saw angels. Notice also that the Bible says nothing that should lead us to believe that the star was any larger than any of the other stars in the night sky. You can look at the text. You can examine it. It doesn't say that it was a big old star with a tail as big as a kite. It just says it was a star. Matthew is the only one who included the account of the Magi in his gospel. And And he never says anything about a huge heavenly body. And yet because we've been conditioned by tradition, the work of artists, to believe it was something very large, that anyone and everyone would have seen well-meaning people are duped every year. Because every year comes trotting out these claims that the star may have been a comet or a supernova or a planetary alignment or a conjunction that that formed a super bright presence that stood out uh, against all the other stars. The, The Bible simply never says that. So, so what if our visions of the night sky when the Magi arrived looked less like this and more like this? Just a simple night sky. Next, notice that the Bible doesn't say that the Magi followed the star to Jerusalem. You know, as in field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. They didn't, because they didn't need to. By their own report, they saw his star in the east, 
concluded that it was telling them that a king of the Jews had been born, and on that basis made the logical decision to travel to Jerusalem with the intent of worshiping him. I appreciate the way Eugene Peterson paraphrased verse 2 in the Message Bible. He said, We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth, that signaled his birth. And we're on pilgrimage to worship him. But here's what they did do. They, they did follow the star on the very short journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Uh, notice verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2 of Matthew. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They went nuts. They had discerned from their interaction with King Herod that the place to go and search for the child was Bethlehem. So that's where they headed. And Matthew doesn't say whether they traveled by day or by night. It it would seem that they traveled by night. But why? Bethlehem was only six miles away. It was very hard to miss. Uh, If they were unsure of where they were going, anyone they encountered on the road could have given them directions. What Matthew does tell us is that the star they had seen when it rose appeared to them again. It was the same star. And then it went before them, it says, until it came to rest over the place where Jesus was. Think about that. It's very unusual behavior for a star, wouldn't you say? The verbs Matthew uses here seem to indicate that the star moved under its own power, as it were, ahead of the Magi, then having come to its destination... It came to rest. And some people say, well, that was the reason for the big tail on the star because it pointed right down to where Jesus was. Well, that's an interesting imagination. By saying it came to rest, Matthew means it stopped. It stopped and it stood still over the place where Jesus was. A National Geographic article by Catherine Zuckerman titled Everything You Want to Know About Stars defines a star as a huge celestial body made mostly of hydrogen and helium that produces light and heat from the churning nuclear forge inside its core. That's that's graphic, isn't it? The churning nuclear forge inside its core. And then she adds... Aside from our sun, the dots of light we see in the sky are all light years from Earth. And we might just make note that a star would never behave the way that Matthew wants us to understand this one did. That that a star would never come as close to Earth as Matthew claims this one did. And that if perchance one ever did, uh, it, it would consume our entire planet in intense fire. So what are we to make of that star? Do we dismiss it as a fable? 
Or do we think more deeply about it? I would suggest to you that the star that appeared to the Magi before they set out for Jerusalem, while they were still back at home in Persia or Babylon or wherever it was they were, was not in fact a star, but rather it was an angel. Why? (laughs) Because it didn't behave like a star behaves. It behaved like an angel behaves. In the pages of Scripture, one of the roles we see being fulfilled repeatedly by angels in their interactions with human beings is the role of leading them from one place to another, sometimes from danger to safety, sometimes from imprisonment to freedom. And for example, in the story of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, the people were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Any of you remember that story? And the text tells us that these pillars that went before them and led them were actually the angel of the Lord. Hmm. Add to this that in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, angels are often referred to as stars. For example, even Lucifer, whom we know as Satan, is called the star of the morning. And the angels that were cast out of heaven with him are referred to as stars. Job wrote of the morning stars singing together and shouting for joy at the dawn of creation. I love that picture. Another reference to angels. In the Messianic prophecy, way back in Numbers 24, verse 17, we read the words of Balaam, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Two weeks ago, we heard old Simeon in the temple taking the infant Jesus up in his arms, blessing God and saying, Lord, now you are turning, uh, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Listen now, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The prophet Isaiah wrote of the ministry of Messiah, I will make you as a light for the nations, that is the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And at the end of his gospel, he records Jesus' great commission to make disciples of all nations. From beginning to end, Matthew presents Messiah, Jesus, who is as as not only the Savior of Israel, but the promised light for the Gentiles as well. Jesus himself said later to his disciples, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So here's, I believe, what we are to make of the star. God wanted those Gentile magi to come and worship Jesus. And he sent them a miraculous and personalized invitation in a manner that they would uniquely understand. 
and to which they would be compelled to respond. And when they came, they came to worship Jesus. The call of God to the Magi was to come and worship. And that was their proclaimed intent. They asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so that is what they did. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when Matthew writes opening their treasures, he's literally saying they opened the storehouse of their treasures. I'm not fully uh, familiar, or I don't know for sure all that that meant, but we know that their worship was costly. They, They lavished their treasures on Jesus as they worshiped him. And you know what? God is still calling people today to bow down and worship Jesus. He's not just looking for mere converts. He's not looking for people who hang a cross on their rearview mirror or wear one around their neck or attach to their ears. He's looking for people who will actually bow their knee, who will actually confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and who will actually surrender their lives to his lordship. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well that that God the Father is looking for worshipers. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus once said that people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. God God is calling people still today from all over the world to come and to worship Jesus. In the book of Revelation, God gave to John the apostle a vision of heaven, and in chapter 7, he wrote that he looked and saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. An international choir, worshiping the exalted and glorified Jesus. In the New Testament letters, believers in Jesus are often referred to, repeatedly referred to, as those who are called. And over and over again, God is spoken of as he who called you. He who called you by his grace, He who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. So if you're in Christ today, if you're a believer in Jesus, you share a common experience with the Magi. And and really with all of those who will one day stand before the throne of God. You too are a Gentile, I think most of you are, who who was far from God, and and yet uh, who has... Um, who has been called by God into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because of anything you had ever done or or anything you hadn't done, 
but only because of his sovereign purpose, his love, and his grace. Just as he chose those magi, whether there were three or three hundred of them, he chose you. You know, God does the calling. And isn't that good news? When he calls us, To serve him, he doesn't ask us to do the calling. He doesn't ask us to to play the role of the Holy Spirit in anybody's lives. We're tempted to. But God does the calling. And, and, And he wants you and me to participate with him in making disciples. Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus speaking these words to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Stop right there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. How much authority? All authority. In what realms? Both heaven and earth. And on that basis, Jesus says to us, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let me ask you this morning as we close, are you a worshiper? I don't mean just one who sings songs on Sundays and gets a a nice, gooey, warm feeling in your guts. Are you a worshiper in your everyday moments when no one else is looking? Are you generously and sacrificially offering up your treasure to him to be used for his purposes? Are you progressively bringing every aspect of your life to obedience under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that he can be lifted up so that he can be glorified through you, so that his name will be known by others long after you're gone if Jesus should tarry. Let me ask you another question. Are you a disciple? By definition, a worshiper would be a disciple, but are you? Maybe that's another way of answering the question of whether you're a worshiper. Are you a disciple? Are you a a genuine, authentic, real deal follower of Jesus? And the next question is, are you a disciple maker? Are you actively sharing your faith with others and helping them grow in their faith in Christ? That's going to be a dual emphasis here at LifePoint in the coming year. Of becoming greater worshipers and of of becoming disciples and disciple makers. Because that's what God has called each of us to do. It's what he's called each of us to be. And I hope that you'll be with us for the next three Sundays as, as we talk about what we think that might look like for us here at LifePoint Church in 2023, in all, in all the months that now lie stretched out ahead of us. Because our God is a great God.
and he wants his name to be made known to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Uh, We thank you today that you have called us to yourself, not because of any merit on our part, because there's nothing that we could do to gain your favor, but only because for some reason that known only to you, you have set your favor on us, you have set your love on us, you have called us to yourself. And Lord, may we not neglect so great a salvation that you offer to us in Christ. And may we not neglect the opportunity to become the people that you have in mind for us to become and to do the things that you prepared long ago for us to do in our time, in our place, in this generation, in this community, in this neighborhood. And Lord, may we ask you, humbly ask you, respectfully ask you, would you bless us in this year? Would you pour out a blessing on us, such as we cannot contain? These have been difficult years. 2022 was not an easy year. And Lord, we're not asking for ease, but we are asking for blessing. And so, God, here we are. Make us more yours by the end of this year than we are as we sit here today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.